This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. So I am joined by the lovely Megan Navarro. And how are you doing today? Good. How are you? So Megan, for those people who don't know you, can you give us a quick 30 second bio or introduction to yourself? I always hate bios like stand up in front of the class and tell about yourself. It's not much. I am a freelance writer from Texas and I love horror. So that's pretty much what I talk about and write about. I can be found on Bloody Disgusting, Vulture, Birth Movies, Death. Yes, you're you're quite prolific. Oh, wow. Thanks. I don't know about that, but okay. So how did you get started writing on film? I'm assuming you probably had a, a bit of a lifelong passion for horror films. I did. My parents had, they used to record things off of the TV on VHS, and they had this tape that was like Wizard of Oz, Ghostbusters and Hercules in New York and it was a thing that I watched every day and it was Ghostbusters like that opening scene with the librarian that freaked me out but I loved it from then on I was obsessed with monsters so anything horror related my dad was nice enough to let me watch it and then probably a few years ago longer than a few years ago I started blogging I just started my own WordPress blog and it just kind of became a stepping stone from there and here I am now was it always writing about horror or did you just have a general, this is Megan's blog, this is where I write stuff? <laughs> it was always horror. That's, I guess that's the odd thing, but it's been my lifelong passion. You know, since four, I was obsessed with monsters. So it was always horror writing for me. And do you have a specific kind of horror film that you naturally gravitate to? I mean, you mentioned Ghostbusters, but I know that you've got at least one recurring column on Bloody Disgusting called It Came From the 80s. Yes. And so does that mean it's ghost stuff? Is it 80s stuff? Is it everything? I think it's hard to say. I mean, the the recurring column on Bloody definitely stems from my childhood and seeking out those 80s monster movies, but... Once you've seen enough horror movies, you kind of just start digging for more and more and more. So I think movies that tend to scare me the most are the ghost stories and kind of the possession stories. But I kind of tend to like all of it, really. It's a very good answer. It's a very safe answer. (laughs) I wouldn't try to be safe, just honest. So thinking about some of the other significant films from your childhood, what else comes to mind? Do you have seminal text where you think oh that frightened me or that really cued something and that got me further into the genre there's a lot i think probably everybody can relate but there are movies or moments from your childhood where you go back and revisit now and you're like i don't know why that was so terrifying but i remember when i was a kid my uncle had rented evil dead 2 and there's that scene where his girlfriend pops back out from the grave and she's dancing and you watch it now and you're like, that looks like a Barbie doll. But back then it was terrifying. And the Zuni doll from Trilogy of Terror was another one that I just wanted to crap my pants in terror. <laughs> Things like just dolls in general tend to scare me when I was a kid. I'll confess I have a gap in my horror knowledge about dolls that I've been meaning to fill for years. Oh, really? 
Yeah, to be honest, I think it's something similar to what you're talking about, where I got freaked out by dolls. And as a result, I've never really wanted to go back and revisit it, even though when you look at a lot of them now, they're a little silly looking. Yeah, they're a little dated. But back then it was terrible. I didn't want dolls. I I wanted nothing to do with dolls, thanks to these movies. Like people laugh about child's play. But that moment where, you know, she opens the box and the batteries fall out, I was terrified. (laughs) So... Yeah, I think for me it was Poltergeist and the Jack in the Box. Oh, yes. Yeah, that part's still kind of creepy because Poltergeist kind of holds up well. But yeah, that was a terrifying moment for sure. Very true. All right. So thinking specifically about the fact that we're coming up on Women in Horror Month, what does the month mean to you? I think this is where I'm going to get a little controversial. (laughs) Oh, bring it on. (laughs) That's what we are here for. I think that it is a grassroots movement that started with the best of intentions, but I think it's a little dated at this point. I think we have to kind of extend the scope beyond just a month of celebrating female voices and not just female voices. I think we need to be more diverse, not just women, but races gender sexual everybody the the beauty of of horror is that it's ever evolving and a large part of what makes it evolve is diversity you know we had jordan peele blow everybody out of the water with his debut and that never would have happened had it been a white male you know doing that movie well i don't think that movie could have been made by pretty much anybody else well precisely that's what i'm saying is I don't think that just a single month for women is effective in trying to to open the field for for new voices anymore. I think it's something that, was it last month or the month before when Jason Blum had that really bad Mm. interview where he couldn't think of any female directors? And look at, I mean, that's starting to change now because people are holding him accountable. People are holding everybody accountable. And I think... That's something that has to happen ongoing, not just Women in Horror Month, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. I find it's an an interesting push and pull because I have some of the same feelings as you where I think, well, why do we need to shoehorn an appreciation of female creators into a single month? But then I also think about if someone challenged me on the notion of having something like a Pride Month or a Pride Parade and said, well, shouldn't we be doing this all the time? I would definitely push back against it and say, well, but it still needs that heightened focus. So I completely agree with you that this should be conversations that are happening all the time. But do you think it's still important to make sure that it remains at least visible for one month? That's a tougher question for me. Um, (laughs) Because for me, women have always been integral to horror. So I think it's harder. What Women in Horror Month is doing is trying to make sure that there's awareness raised for behind the scenes. There have been women behind the scenes. And I guess I would like to know how effective it is or has been for women. Like, women behind the scenes in the decade or so since this was conceived has it changed anything or are those conversations that you and I were just discussing is that more integral to forward momentum that's a good point I think you're right that it maybe started with the best of intentions and I wondered now if it's almost like it needs evolution (laughs) well I'm gonna say something controversial I wonder if it's maybe (laughs) meant for men like hey men 
a bunch of other people know that women are integral and have always been involved in the horror genre. But I wonder if it's mostly to make sure that men pay attention and say, oh, right, I guess women are important to the process and they have always been here. Like, it's there to gently remind idiots and fanboys who would like to discriminate or maybe put women into a into a box in the corner and say oh okay well they're not really that important and it's kind of like well let's take this one month to just name a shit ton of really key figures in the genre who are doing amazing things true but i also think that that precise target audience it probably is they're gonna get a lot of pushback from like i think it's kind of over their heads in a way hmm I mean, I, I think that when they do stuff like start scholarship funds, that type of thing it highlights why Women in Horror Month is most effective. But usually it tends to be, I almost feel like it's kind of a like schlocky holiday fodder for pieces that are kind of irreverent at this point. You know, I think it's totally different to have Women in Horror Month versus Gay Pride Month. Okay. So I can see the justification for one, but I think the other... I'm ready for it to evolve. Let's let's move beyond just a single month. Let's keep having these conversations. Let's keep pushing forward. Let's keep having those conversations that allow new voices, not just women, but everybody to bring new perspectives to our favorite genre. And it sounds like more actionable items, right? Like, let's yes. not just pay lip service. Let's actually exactly. make more things happen. Exactly. Interesting. Okay. So following through on that, then I'm curious as to what are your thoughts about the status of women? And if you want to expand that into, you know, more diverse topics, like people of color, like different genders, different sexual orientations, what is your read on the current state of the horror genre? I think it's pretty exciting. Actually, I think we're we're having some new voices. Jordan Peele was recently announced to be involved with the Candyman remake or spiritual sequel and who he's tapped to direct is a rather interesting choice and i feel like that's a direct result of the current climate i mean i think between his successes julia de corno coralie farge all of these women and different voices are it's really kind of changing the landscape the latest into the dark hulu's anthology series Mm -hmm. the next announced director is female so i think It's starting to snowball or pick up steam, all of these exciting new voices and perspectives. So I don't think I answered the question quite well. (laughs) No, I think you're, you're highlighting the fact that it does actually feel like there's a greater diversity and plurality of, of voices and creators. Yes. Yes. Thank you. You summed that up well. (laughs) And I would also like to highlight, I think one of the things that I've been most excited about, particularly in the last year when I personally have been paying more attention and more active on Twitter and trying to seek out different types of voices, I feel like the work that female writers on the genre are doing. So people like yourself, like Suspiria, like Diabolique, Graveyard Shift Sisters, Grim Magazine, like they're all doing really vital, interesting, important work, and they're making a lot of noise. Yes. And I think that's what has the most sway versus just, you know, Women in Horror Month. I think it's ongoing conversations. It's these ongoing think pieces and articles by fantastic women writing about horror. Not just women, but just people in general expanding the way we look at the genre. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think that has a bigger 
role to play than, you know, what was an amazing grassroots movement that I think we've outgrown a little bit. Yeah. Okay, so thinking a little bit more about the exciting stuff that's happened, can you, I mean, I've asked you to pick one specific text, and we'll get to that in a moment, but can you think of other vital texts that you feel are indicative of this new wave or this shift? You mentioned Get Out. As far as texts, Alexandra Heller Nicholas, she just had a piece on Vulture about A to Z, 26 women in horror that's a deep cut that kind of highlights the entire history from current contemporary horror to, you know, early 1900s horror that kind of gives an example of how important women have been from all angles in front of the screen, behind the screen, all over the world. So I think that's pretty good highlight of just some of the voices that we have related to women. Mm-hmm. There's been a resurgence of love for Jennifer's body that I'm thrilled about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, a, I guess, a decade ago that the movie came out, didn't do so well, but that was directed by a female, written by a female, stars females. And has a lot to say about what it is like to be female in the teen years. So I guess that's kind of current. I 100% agree with you. That, to me, has been one of the most interesting pieces. It seems like every... It seems to happen a lot around Halloween, but there seems to be one text that gets rediscovered or reappropriated and just held back up as, hey, why isn't everybody talking about this and loving it more and... That, for me, was Jennifer's body last year. It was crazy to see the amount of love and admiration to come back out for this text, which I think a lot of people had really written off. It is crazy. And now there's, I mean, I think there was um, even an article around that same period about how the marketing, like they're reexamining the marketing that may have caused it to be written off back then. And it's fascinating to me. I actually saw that in theaters and loved it back then. And I blame the marketing, but yeah, it's crazy that that sometimes that takes, you know, years for people to turn around on movies. So I'm glad. I'm glad it finally did for Jennifer's body, but it is strange. Yeah. I'm interested to see if there's a couple of films, even ones that came out this year that we'll be talking about in that way in a couple of years. Have you had a chance to see Assassination Nation? I actually have not gotten to see it yet. I looked for it recently, but it's so hard to find until it actually comes out on blu-ray yes yeah it'll be out shortly as of the date of this recording and by the time it's available it will already be out so maybe we can revisit this down the future yes i'm also really curious what they think about uh suspiria in a few years from now Mm, yeah to be honest that film didn't end up being as polarizing as i anticipated it would be i feel like a lot more people actually got it than i had thought I think it depends on where you're asking, though. How do you mean? I mean, general audiences versus, oh, you know, the writerly okay. folk that you're used to following. A lot of people that are film writers loved it and got it. And then there's the general audience. I'm actually kind of somewhere in the middle. So to be honest, so am I. I like a large portions of it, but I feel like I need to spend more time with it. I've only seen it the one time and that's definitely not enough. Right, which is why I'm like, this is definitely the type of movie that has to be absorbed on numerous viewings. So I'll be curious to see how discourse changes on that one over the years. Indeed. 
So let's turn to the main event, shall we? Yes. So in anticipation of having this chat, I asked you to identify one text that really speaks to you that you really wanted to talk about, and you could either pick a film or a performance, and you opted to go with Coralie Farge's Revenge. So it was made in 2017, released in 2018, and tell me a little bit why you love this film. Well, it's her debut film, and it is doozy of a debut film I can't believe crazy that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah right heavily stylized super bloody very empowering i think that first and foremost is the biggest reason that i chose this she had never seen a rape revenge film in her life and wrote and directed the best one as far as i'm concerned mm-hmm. most of the rape revenge movies are this really awful ratio of like 45 minutes of gratuitous, really exploitive, awful, soul-crushing rape, Mm -hmm. followed by 30 minutes of cartoonish revenge. Yeah. And she chooses to not even really focus on that so much. It happens, it's awful, but she doesn't even show it really. And then it's just this intense cat and mouse chase from there. And that the revenge part is the actual focus, which I adored. What did you feel about it? Oh my gosh, I loved it so much. I had the pleasure of seeing this when it debuted. I think it might have been its world debut at TIFF back in 2017. And I was absolutely blown away. I went in thinking it was going to be a bit of a generic rape revenge film. And I'm with you. (laughs) I, I don't enjoy the ratio. And I don't enjoy the perspective of male directors. Because it's always male directors. Who decide that they want to make the rape as disgusting and gratuitous and horrible as they possibly can as though that's required to justify the revenge that follows right and i love i mean i didn't love the rape in the film but i thought that it was handled in such a smart way that you still understood how terrible it was for jen but then as you said the rest of the film is just so much more empowering and exciting and dynamic and you it really hits home that jen is not a stupid little girl like she's initially presented or like you're meant to believe right and the men are absolutely as stupid as you think they are (laughs) yes it just was very authentic in that first act how women are how society kind of deems that we're supposed to behave you know she was trying so hard to be polite as Stan is really kind of coming on strong and getting sleazy as it's building up to that awful moment and she hit the nail on the head and just kind of opened up some conversation about how we judge others based on appearances mm-hmm. and the biggest reason I'll be honest that I wanted to talk about this movie aside from everything that we've already mentioned is that how people have received it I've felt has kind of been a gauge for me on how I kind of might feel about them, for example. (laughs) Like, if you don't like this movie or if you don't get this movie, we can't be friends. Well, yeah, to an extent. In particular, there was a female that had said that she could not relate to this because it was just a side chick. And I just thought that that was a very telling... If that's your takeaway, that, that just because she's an adulteress, she deserved being raped, then that says a lot more about your character. And so it just added a whole level of brilliance of what Coralie Farge is doing. It's not just this highly stylized action 
horror movie full of like you know french extremism gore and blood by the end it's this very smart on the pulse societal conversation starter mm-hmm. i mean it's so obvious to me that you're meant to look at her as silly and flighty and a bit of a ditz and that yeah she is the side piece at the beginning like that is a hundred percent the intention and then the whole rest of the movie is saying remember those those immediate feelings that you had at the beginning of the film i'm now proving right. you wrong at every juncture exactly. exactly and i love that and i also loved that she's also seen people criticize how over the top you know there's no way she could have survived that fall and well no but that's the point mm-hmm. the point is the reality of the situation is they would have killed her and gotten away with it and yeah. here's the fantasy that she's delivering us of here's what it should be like yeah, she's a phoenix rising from the ashes. Exactly. She's she's reinventing herself. She's righting these awful wrongs. And yeah, I just, I love this movie so much. So and much. it's amazing that this was her like debut film. Yeah, because honestly, it's so polished and so well put together. And honestly, just visually, aesthetically, it's off the charts. Like, it's such a gorgeous looking film. It is so pretty. Yeah, she has a strong vision, and she nailed it. Do you have a standout sequence in the film? (laughs) There's probably a few, but the final act, the memorable bloody hall chase, Mm -hmm. I think from a technical perspective, I mean, that's all practical. So you know that these poor actors are slipping about left and right. You know that... They have to nail it because that's not going to be an easy thing to reset. No. So just on a technical level alone, I adore it. What it means for Jen, you know, Matilda Lutz's character's journey, that line where he says women always have to put up a fight. It's just this kind of like, you know, female empowerment anthem that from every level I love so much. It hits a little too close to home, (laughs) considering the real world that we live in and just that male privilege and entitlement, this idea that Richard obviously thought of her the same way that we were meant to at the beginning of the film. And the fact that he still hasn't realized how even how much of a threat she is, that he condescends to take a shower while she's still out there. It's so glorious when she gets that shot off and he has to wrap himself in saran wrap. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, What was the standout for you? So I love that scene as well. And partially the other piece is that I love the fact that in not just a rape revenge film, but in a horror film, more generally speaking, that we also get to see this man be extremely vulnerable in a complete state of nakedness because it's so rare. So I love that. But my favorite sequence is the sequence where Stan gets the glass through his foot. Oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. If only because having had the privilege of getting to see that film in the theater, that moment absolutely killed with an audience. Oh, did it? I bet. Yeah, people freaked out. There were wailing sounds throughout the theater. (laughs) I love that she twists the knife, so to speak, at the end. It's like not not only is it enough for him to be digging glass out of this gaping wound in his foot, but when he tries to put the pedal on to flee from her and it's like spurting blood on the pedal, I, it's like this just kind of cherry on top. Indeed. 
no, so many outstanding sequences. I mean, the the peyote dream sequence is great. The scene where she uh, where she drowns the other guy, Dimitri. That to me is actually the most difficult piece to watch in the film because it's not sensationalized and it's not enjoyable. It's just rough and tumble. I think it's also interesting because out of all of the the men, he seemed like the most sympathetic. You know, he he looked like he was uncomfortable with what Stan was doing and not enough to to do anything. I mean, he just shut the door and walked away, but he had this look of expression like he disagreed and felt this was wrong and then that just kind of turned in an instant in his confrontation with Jen and you realize that he's just as evil if not more so in the way that he just again looked down on her and told her she was stupid you really think I'd be stupid enough to leave a loaded gun so yeah rough and tumble for sure but there's that added level of just sleaziness from from Dimitri it's interesting because the three men really each represent a different kind of shitty male. So yes. you've got the actual rapist, you've got the uncaring lover who's really only interested in himself, and then you've got the casual bystander. And they all right. deserve different types of fate. Right. They're all guilty for, for different traits. Mm-hmm. Ah, it's such a good movie. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to go watch it now. Indeed. Again. Uh, All right, do you have any final things that you wanted to say about Revenge? Just go watch it if you haven't. Even if you feel like we spoiled stuff, we did not. I mean, this is, it's a revelation. I don't usually like to say words like that in regards to film, but it is so good. Whether you don't like your films heavily politicized or you want more depth this has something for everybody you know if you just want a basic action horror this definitely delivers on that front but there's a lot of layers to be peeled back too so mm-hmm. i think this is this is the type of movie that's so good a uh, lot of symbolism a lot of metaphors a lot of conversations to be had but then it's just simply a fun thrill ride on top of all of it so yeah, it yeah. works on all of those different levels. And I think to me, it's also so unabashedly female, like kind of in the same way that we were talking about Get Out. I don't think that this movie could have been done as well with any other kind of director. Definitely. I mean, the basic bare bones seems like it could on paper, just the way that it's so action and style and blood forward. But the whole male gaze thing would have definitely changed the entire feel and tone. And I completely agree. I don't think it would have worked with anybody else except for Coralie. Yeah. I can't wait to see what she does next. I am so excited too. All right. Well, that wraps it up for us. So Megan, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, It can be found on Twitter at hauntedmeg. Definitely on Bloody Disgusting, which is where I primarily write, and on Birth, Movies, Death, and Vulture. Excellent. All right. Well, give her a follow, seek her out, and read all of her stuff. Thank you so much. Squad.